Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. The more interesting conversation and the one that I have more and more is, hey, how can we actually use sound, music, and audio to solve for big business and human challenges and problems that you have in your entire business? So not just things that fall under the marketing team or the CMO's purview or the head of brand, but what is the product officer doing with your technology and your app? You have all of these fragmented components, the experiential and event people, the world I came from, and they're all, for the most part, living in their own silos when there's a real opportunity to use sound and music as this red thread to get everyone on the same page and help everyone in their own roles and their teams and so forth. Welcome. This is the Take and Walk podcast music history on foot. Buzz Knight is your host, and join him today as he speaks with Shez Mera. Shez was Drake's first DJ. He currently intersects music and technology in his role as VP and head of growth for SongTrader. Let's join Buzz and Shez next on Taking a Walk. Well, we've got a virtual Taking a Walk, so I want to have our guests sign in, please, and identify themselves here. Hey, Buzz. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Shez Mera. I am a lifelong creative entrepreneur in the music industry, currently serving as VP of Growth for Music Solutions at SongTrader, amongst a few other things. Great to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So what was it like traveling the world, first of all, (laughs) as an open format uh, DJ? Um. You know, it was a hobby turned into a career, so it was amazing. But uh, I began collecting vinyl at a very young age. I was about 11 or 12, 
And I don't know why, but I started hoarding record collections, going to dollar bins, looking up people that were giving away collections and just amassing a pretty solid vinyl uh, collection by the time I was 15, at which point I treated myself to my very first pair of turntables and a mixer on my 15th birthday uh, through having worked for them through various odd jobs, shoveling driveways, delivering newspapers, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. But that passion for manipulating records and and physically manipulating these sounds and creating something net new out of two pieces of the same 12 inch it just blew my mind and so i was enamored by this concept of scratching and beat juggling and manipulating music from different eras and and you know decades and genres and that passion really was something that was a constant throughout high school i started djing all ages parties and then 19 plus parties, which is the legal drinking age here in Canada, um, when I was about 16. So before I could even legally attend these nightclubs, I was the guy controlling all of the music within them. And, you know, eventually I went to the University of Guelph where I did my Bachelor of Commerce and Economics Marketing. But the whole time I was there, I was just trying to DJ and throw events and parties and give myself a forum to cut my teeth and play this music. And uh, in doing that, I sort of learned, you know, how to negotiate with professors and work with labels to give away CD release parties and work with different brands to give things away and just make a whole business out of it. Uh, and by the time I graduated, I had quit my co-op at Scotiabank, where I was, you know, probably going to go on and do my MBA and climb the corporate bureaucracy of, of a bank. I said, no, thank you. I'm going to pursue this passion of DJing and mixing records. It ended up working out. You know, I worked really, really hard at it, um, paid my way through school. I then found myself traveling all across Canada and the States, playing not only nightclubs, but a lot of corporate functions, film festivals, you know, galas and activations and product launches and so forth. And then, yeah, before I knew it, I was, you know, in Belgium and Dubai and Hong Kong, uh, Amsterdam, all over the world, really, through this passion, through this love affair with music and vinyl. It, it took me across the world from about 17 to 25. I was traveling full time building an incredible network and incredible perspective globally as to how music and sound truly is a universal language. So, you know, when I was in a nightclub in Gangzhou, China, where no one spoke the language, I was able to have this conversation with them and this exchange of energy through the music and the music alone. And I always found it fascinating that they didn't speak the language, but they knew every word, you know, to a record, to an English record. And uh, yeah, it was great. You know, I'm forever grateful to those years of, of DJing all over the world and what it taught me, the relationships I made and sort of the perspective it gave me into humanity and how we truly are all connected through this incredible power of sound and music, uh, re regardless of all of our differences that we might have, right? Well, we uh, produce this other podcast. Uh, it's called Music Saved Me and it's about the healing power of music. Oh. Um, do you believe music has a healing powers? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and not only do I, you know, only believe in it, but uh, I have an initiative that I'm building with a dear friend of mine, Peter Monroe. He went through a transformative experience with his own father, um, who now has left us, unfortunately. But, you know, about five years ago, Pete's dad was diagnosed with, uh, you know, all kinds of cancers and brain tumors and was just in a really awful state. And um, Pete was in the hospital room with him with a very grim 
prognosis, unable to have a conversation with his father because he had sort of mentally checked out. Um, and Pete didn't know what to do. So he started streaming Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits, his, his dad's favorite band. And uh, at first, his father's toes started moving under the sheets. And then he he broke down um, and started bawling, but recited every word verbatim to that greatest hits album and came back to and you know a prognosis of about a week or so left turned into months he got to go home and have christmas with his father he he got to have all of this closure with him and so he saw firsthand how music brought his father back to and and sort of revived him if not for a few more months and so in that experience he wrote mr garfunkel and Simon, an open letter to thank them for the genius of their music, saving his father's life. Um, and I read that letter and we connected right away over this. And at the time I was working with the Alzheimer's Society here in Canada to personalize um, iPods for dementia patients. Because what happened in, in those situations were these patients, again, they had sort of checked out mentally, you know, their family would come to visit them but they didn't know their own kids' names sometimes and, and couldn't have that connection. And so we would hone in on sort of the golden years of these people's lives. When did they get married? Where did they grow up, et cetera. And by curating the music of what we believed were those golden years or important moments in their lives, putting that music back on into their ears, again, the emotions just flooded through. They would break down, they would cry, they would sing all of these songs and then open up that conversation and that exchange of energy with their own family who they'd been closed out to. So, you know, I had always known that music was tremendously powerful. Obviously my own experiences as a DJ, not something as heavy, but I did actually have the ability to take someone who was having a shitty day and help them escape or change their entire uh, you know, perspective or physiology, psychology, and, and change them physically, if not for a moment in time. And I thought that was powerful. But then when I actually started understanding the real implications applied to, you know, mental health, physical health, what Pete had gone through, we said, hey, we need to take this incredibly powerful thing that we believe in wholeheartedly and and sort of communicate this narrative to the world that, here is this thing, music, which can truly help you, whether you're struggling with various different things. You know, it could be we work with pediatric hospitals as well in their, in their uh, music therapy programs, elderly patients and dementia, you know, something Pete just went through with his own father. Just to remind people that because it's not a pill that can be prescribed, it's more so an energy, but it's something that is so innate to us and so very human, right? Hearing is the very first sense we develop in the womb. We have a very powerful relationship with music and sound. Why don't we lean into that when it comes to health, physical health, mental health? And so that is the mission that we want to communicate to the world. We want to sort of be a conduit that shines a light on this incredible force and energy, which is music and remind the world that you know, regardless of what it is that you are going through, here are a number of incredible organizations or charities uh, for various different things, and we can shine a light on them. Um, we're not even a charity ourselves, per se. Again, we just want to take this incredible thing that we believe in that can help the world truly 
and give people a platform to share those stories and hopefully help themselves and their own loved ones. So yes, I definitely believe in the transformative power of music and sound wholeheartedly. Thank you for sharing that. I've got chills from your your story. I really do. That's beautiful. Um, so does that really speak to a large part of song traders core value and mission? Well, you know, I'm, I'm new to song trader. It's been about a year or so since I've joined massive music and subsequently song trader, our parent company. Um, but from my understanding, the company was founded in about 2014 out of the frustration in terms of tools that existed for musicians and rights owners and IP owners to actually go out there and monetize their assets. So I believe our founder and CEO, Paul Wiltshire, musician himself, had an opportunity, and I don't know the details about it, but there was some kind of a licensing opportunity. And the whole system of getting things organized to actually seize the opportunity and capitalize on it was so archaic and cumbersome that he thought there has to be a better way for people that own rights and musicians that have recorded assets to actually go to market and monetize what we own. And so a lot of the reason as to why the company was built and founded was with the mission of making technology and making processes and making things better for the artists themselves, right? So I think to some degree, the notion of how do we actually take this thing of music and make it better for everyone involved, not only the artists and the rights holders in our case, but also on the demand side, on the other side of the mountain is, you know, the buyers, the licensors, the brands, the agencies, the people that want to use this music for various instances. So there was this really disparate sort of fragmented ecosystem and song traders mission is to say, hey, we hear the pains on the supply side with people that own catalogs and are making music. And we see and hear the frustrations on the demand side with people that want to use said rights and said music. How can we build tools and infrastructure for both sides to make it better for both sides of the equation? So that's really what we're doing today and, and really why we exist as a business, I'd say. I want to come back to that. I want to talk about Bandcamp, obviously, as, as well, mm -hmm. which I think is super exciting. But um, you had uh, some time with this uh, gentleman by the name of Drake. Um, tell me about your first encounter with Drake and tell me um, what you think the secret to his success really is. Sure. So our first encounter was actually over MSN Messenger. Um, I, at the time, I was probably in my first year of university up in my dorm room and I was making mixtapes actual CDs. People used to do that, right? And I would ship them out all over the place. But I would make these mixtapes with local rappers and rappers from another city. And I had this concept called Bridging the Gap, where I wanted to showcase what Toronto had to offer as a city, because we had tremendous amount of talent other than Drake, including him. And I wanted to connect it with other cities. So I did different volumes, uh, Toronto to New York, Toronto to Chicago, Toronto to North Carolina, Toronto to Virginia. And they were always hosted by um, someone who was revered from those cities. They would host the mixtape and do a series of drops and shout outs. And then I would pepper it in with local artists and get them to make exclusives and so forth. And I had heard about Drake and I'd taken in a few of his early records and thought, you know what, let me give this kid a shot and put him on one of my record, one of my mixtapes that I was doing in Toronto, New York. And so 
through a mutual friend. We were introduced over MSN Messenger. That was our first conversation. You know, I told him about my idea for this mixtape, uh, sent him a few beats and instrumentals and things of that nature. And um, he was right on board. You know, he he had actually said, hey, I, I've heard of some of the stuff you're doing. I've been to some of the parties you were playing. Cool. I'm I'm down. Let's do this. And I would just send him stuff over MSN. He would send it back with a verse recorded. And, you know, there I was in university making records with uh, with someone virtually at the time. Then we did meet up. Um, when I pressed up that mixtape, I gave him about 250 copies, said, here are, the, here are the CDs, you know, give them to all of your local barbershops or your own friends and whatever you're doing. So it was strategic. I was using these rappers to my benefit as well. I was I was getting them on my projects, but then giving them several copies of these projects to promote my own brand and my own CDs and so forth. And then, you know, the second point you mentioned, he was always very driven. I remember being in his uh his his mother's basement um working on a mixtape with him and you know he he was telling me that he was about to go on tour with little wayne and uh there was no guarantee there was no pay but you know that i should come uh as his dj at the time now i was djing for him excuse me and i was in university and i said i can't go with no guarantees on a tour with little wayne i, I have this exam to write next week you know, and uh, he was just always very focused and there was a lot of naysayers. You know, he's a mixed race kid on on TV, on a children's TV show in Canada. Like all of the odds were stacked against him in terms of becoming a global rap, you know, and hip hop star. Um, but he persisted. He persisted. I remember he would tell me he'd fly to New York and supposed to go meet with one of the big labels. And, you know, he's waiting in the lobby for three hours and they just stood him up and a lot of that was happening. Everyone was just kind of passing by and writing him off and not giving him the time of day. But, you know, I think he kept some really good people around him, uh, built a solid team, which is really a big part of the success. Everyone needs a team, especially as you go through certain levels and boundaries and you want to break through to another level. He had a solid team. He had a solid set of beliefs and, and so solid morals. Um, and he was just naturally talented. He was a raw talent. And, um, you know, I think the combination of all of that sort of with an unwillingness to fail um, and just keep marching forward, one thing led to another. And Canada is a funny place. The way you make it here is as soon as you leave and someone else co-signs you, everyone else here starts caring. So once that happened, being on tour with Lil Wayne, you know, being in sessions with Dr. Dre, all of these things around 2000, 2008, 2007, 2008, when that started to come back around here, you know, everyone started the same people that would boo us. Now everyone starts to care. So he uh, he was steadfast in his mission and he was willing to leave his own city to go find success. And once that happened, you know, the rest is history. We'll be right back with more of the Taking a Walk podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God, 
my friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Taking a Walk Podcast. I'm going to go out on a limb and think that maybe... A guy named Rick Rubin has had an influence on you at some point. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes. Tell me what you observed that uh, you took away from his experience. Uh, I mean, there's so much, right? I think at the end of the day, there and there's still so much to learn that I'm still trying to dig into. But I think 
zooming out, he just has a very calm demeanor for the most part and is not afraid to go left when everyone else is going right. And that is something I've been doing my whole life. But as I started really following and reading up and going deeper into sort of, you know, Rick Rubin's mentality and philosophy, that helped validate some of the things that I would question about myself previously. Right. And so in more recent years, in the last decade or so, I've realized that it's not only completely normal to be going left when everyone is going right, but that's probably where you should be going if you want to do things that are innovative and game changing and really true to yourself, even if they're not innovative. But if you feel in your heart of hearts that, okay, I'm doing this for my own reasons, that's another lesson Rick Rubin has taught me that, you know, sometimes the journey itself is the destination. So enjoy the work and don't apologize for trying to find something that is perfect and just keep making, keep creating and do it for your own reasons. And, you know, if it's meant to be, the forces will align and you will find your tribe, you'll find your fans, the work will cut through, but don't compromise the work in pursuit of what you think it should be. Let it sort of guide whatever it might be. And uh, that's something I try and, you know, instill in all of my missions to say, okay, am I doing this for the right reasons? You know, do I wholeheartedly believe in this? Am I comfortable with this being completely out of field or, you know, everyone is here and I'm going all the way over here on the other side of the paradigm. You know, Rick Rubin is sort of a North star to look to in terms of his mentality and his, his, uh, yeah, his ethos. So thank you, Mr. Rubin. <laughs> well, well stated. You, you certainly, uh, um, capture his vibe as well. Now oh, that's a huge compliment. I'll take it. Thank you. So tell me specifically about your role at song trader now. Yeah, sure. So I joined uh, Massive Music September of last year. I actually had a sonic consultancy I was running in Toronto uh, that I launched in right when the pandemic hit with a partner. And we actually kept butting heads with Massive. So it was funny how this all came to be. Uh, I wasn't looking to be at Massive, but it just so happened that we kept playing in the same arena. We kind of caught wind of one another. I met a few people over there. You know, it's a small world in this world of sonic branding and sonic identity. One thing led to another. Um, I decided to leave my consultancy and, and join them. And in joining them, I learned that we were recently acquired by SongTrader. And so I started digging a little deeper and saying, okay, what's the SongTrader thing all about? Then I started looking at the other acquisitions that SongTrader had made. And, you know, I, I went to Brian Biniak and and Paul and just said, hey, you know, I might be the new guy and be naive here, but as I understand it, we've got all of these pieces of a puzzle. Um, I would love to help sort of form these pieces to build a, a cohesive narrative as to how the picture then goes to market. So that's a long way of saying what I'm doing here is really assembling and, and figuring out our entire go-to-market strategy and the best way to help not only our brands and agencies and the client that clients that want music or need music or audio, but also those artists and right holders and people who we can champion to best monetize their assets. So it's really fun because, uh, you know, I think these days the, the notion of sonic branding or sonic identity or sonic assets, those are table stakes. And the more interesting conversation and the one that I have more and more with clients and prospective clients and people within the C-suite at brands and organizations is, hey, how can we actually use sound, music and audio to solve for big business and human challenges and problems that you have in your entire business. So not just things that 
fall under the marketing team or the CMO's purview or the head of brand, but what is the product officer doing with your technology and your app? You know, what is the head of accessibility or inclusion doing? What is the head of licensing? Like you have all of these fragmented components, the experiential and event people, the world I came from, and they're all for the most part living in their own silos when there's a real opportunity to use sound and music as this red thread to get everyone on the same page and help everyone in their own roles and their teams and so forth. So that's what I'm up to. We are uh, sort of living at the cusp of innovation, technology, music, culture, and helping these brands figure out, okay, how can I actually use all of these things and do what I say? A lot of people say they do a lot of things and then they don't do them. So we're using sound, music, and audio to help these brands and organizations do what they say and, uh, you know, make help them produce better content, help them avoid compliance issues, help them bring efficiencies back to their operations teams, make sure that their UX and UI cuts through and is more intuitive. So a lot of this lives subconsciously, but in effect, what it is actually doing is building more powerful, more human brands. Uh, that are not just shouting and making noise, but are doing it, you know, communicating to their audiences, B2B, B2C, B2BC, whatever it might be, but doing it in a thoughtful, holistic, strategic way in terms of the sound and music they're using. So tell me about the uh, acquisition of uh, Bandcamp, an unbelievable brand already, and yeah. uh, what that means to SongTrader, uh, and how is the integration going? You know, Bandcamp is a is a highly revered, very special brand and organization. I've been a fan for uh, a long, long time now. Um, and many of those artists I used to make mixtapes with, you know, they have projects on there. So again, near and dear to me. Um, I can't speak to the technical aspects of the, the deal itself. I know that we acquired it from Epic. Um, the integration is going quite well. And here's where I see it. I think this is a great move for us because we help brands use music and sound effectively we also help artists right monetize their their music and the way i see it is if we are now you know working on something for unilever who's a client we're doing something in rio de janeiro a campaign and they're trying to figure out what should they do in sound and music well great news we actually have five million artists and labels now whose data we have oversight on and not only can we pinpoint as to who the authentic local cultural artists are in the region for that brand to partnership partner with but we can hone in on who is selling x amount of merch vinyl music and has you know a degree of fandom that that brand might want to tap into so that's where i see a win-win happening for brands that want to authentically tap into culture we can do that on a global level now and really hone in on exactly the you know the options of artists that you can work with in this region to best effectively spend and invest your money whether it's above the line, below the line, whatever it might be. And then there's, you know, real cultural resonance there and it's authentic and it's a win for the artist that wants to participate in that opportunity. It's a win for the brand. And we're the connective thread now able to make that happen because it's all under our ecosystem. So I think it can get really interesting and and really benefit artists in a meaningful way, as well as brands too. That's exciting. That really... It is. It, it genuinely is. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know... Um, it's everything is moving. There's a lot happening, but for the, you know, for the team that's here from what I see on Slack, like it's nothing but positive. People are, are thrilled and we're already having really innovative discussions as to where this can all go. Bandcamp daily is still around. All of those editorial things are still around that people love about the brand. So 
yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to take some course correcting, but where we're able to go and sort of the waters that we're charting are really exciting because they haven't been navigated before. And now it's just another piece of this, this puzzle that we're building, uh, which is very clear in our heads. But it, as you know, with businesses, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to make sure you have all of the pieces. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Thrilled to have them as part of the crew. Can you envision where Song Trader will be in the next three to five years? Uh, I have a I have a pulse on where I think it's all going, but as you and I both know, technology is changing so quickly um, with everything that is going on and all of the innovation that's coming out of the world these days. So things could change, but the way I see it is, you know, there is a lane that doesn't quite exist yet. I think people have tried to piece different pieces of the puzzle together and some people have solved for one thing and others have solved for another and what i mean by that is you know there's different licensing platforms there's different sonic branding companies there's different sort of cultural um consultancies when it comes to music and sound but there's not really like a there's not like a wpp or like a mothership off this stuff when it comes to sound and music for brands and so in acquiring massive music and acquiring big sync and all of these different things, you know, we have creative services taken care of. We have licensing and tools and technology on the SaaS perspective taken care of. Um, Bandcamp brings a tremendous amount of cultural cachet as to how we might consult brands. And so you really have a very unique offering under one umbrella now, under one mothership, where everyone is sort of rowing in the same direction to say, hey, where are the pain points for these organizations looking to use music and sound meaningfully, strategically, right? Um, and, and how can we help point out some of the pains on their ship that they don't even know exist? And I think that's the interesting thing about where we're going is it's becoming less reactive about, hey, here's this brief, here's this thing we need fulfilled as a music partner, and here's this spot we need made, and more about going to the C-suite at those organizations and saying, hey, how are you either leaving money on the table or audiences on the table or, you know, where's the opportunity to use all of these different tools. And you might not need to use all of them at the same time, but because we have a plethora of value added tools in our toolkit, it makes for a really meaningful and interesting conversation with these companies to hear them out and understand where they want to go. And then look into our toolkit to say, well, you know, we actually have three out of these 10 things can help you do exactly that. And that's the fun part because now we're solving for, big business challenges, big brand challenges beyond the brief, beyond the tactical stuff. And I think that's where we're going is, is more and more companies are going to lean on us to say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is who we want to connect with. This is where we aspire to be in three years. What do you have to help us you know, get on that trajectory? And so it's less about selling widgets at that point and more about truly consultative selling to say, how can we help these people? Do we have the tools you know, how can we help their social team, their brand team, their experiential team, whatever it might be. And that that's, I think, the, the differentiator from your sort of typical licensing shop or sonic branding shop or whatever it might be on a tactical sense. We want to be thought leaders in terms of advising and guiding our partners and clients as to where they should go and why and what kind of value we can create for them in the process. Well, in closing, I want to uh, come full circle about uh, the good of music and shine a light on something that you have called the Thank You Music Charity. Uh, talk about that mission and how it's it's helping folks. 
Sure. So Thank You Music is a initiative that was born out of the story that I alluded to earlier with Pete and his father and the transformative experience he went through. And uh, we don't know if we're a charity yet. We're still figuring it out. I think we want to really, again, be a conduit, a not-for-profit, but you know, it's not about us needing to take money and then disperse it. So again, if we can shine a light and tell these people's stories, tell humanity's stories on a global level as to how music might have helped them and then inspire other humans. We see this really turning into a compound effect where people say, wow, look what music did for Buzz. Look what music did for Pete and his father. Look what music did for you know this autistic child or whatever it might be, this dementia patient. If we can foster that narrative and inspire others, let them go donate to the charities and organizations in their own regions, in their own municipalities, in their own provinces and states and countries, and sort of propagate this thing on their own. So we are hoping to become a spark plug that lights this conversation up. And, you know, it's early days, but what we're doing is aggregating a lot of different stories and once we have about 24, we have a plan and a team globally to help sort of evangelize this mission and make it come to fruition. But uh, yeah, every time we have this conversation with folks, you know, they say two things. Wow, this is incredible. How can I help? And they also offer that they have their own story. And it doesn't have to be something heavy hearted, be something very light. But everyone has a story as to what music means to them. They just never been given the opportunity or platform or chance to truly think about it. So, you know, we want to ask the question, if, if music were listening to you, Buzz, what would you say to it? Right. And that's the question we want to pose to the world. And in doing that, we're going to aggregate all of those stories and then hopefully inspire the world and, and connect some interesting dots. Well, we need good stories now. And Song Trader is certainly a great story. And shows your story is fantastic. And uh, we need we need stories like this, so I can't thank you enough for sharing all of this, and congratulations. Oh, thank you for having me, Buzz. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to meet you. And hopefully we have another conversation down the line. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. 
Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.